You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 195. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to find your podcasts. Uh, visit us at codingblocks.net, where you can find the show notes, examples, discussion, more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to come at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks, or head to codingblocks.net and find our uh, social links at the top of the page. With that, I'm Joe Zach. I'm Alan Underwood. Oh, it's not Wait. the same. Oh, it's not. Oh, dang it. Not I thought I, I thought I did a pretty good out on there. It was pretty good, though. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm Michael Outlaw. Oh, and by the way, we should mention, too, you forgot in the, in when you gave out the website, the www. codingblocks.net or That's period. Right. I forget that period. Good. Yeah. Codingblocks.net. And it's all lowercase. And Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. This is what it's like without Alan, though. By the way, so just just to let you know if you if you want to, you know, just skip this episode. You know, we're telling you ahead of time. Alan's not here. He's not going to sneak in midway. He's really not here for this one. So this episode is sponsored by Retool. Stop wrestling with UI libraries, hacking together data sources, and figuring out access controls, and instead start shipping apps that move your business forward. Okay, so uh, yeah, we're gonna clearly you didn't get my Cobra Kai reference there, so you must not have watched that. Um, <clears throat> I just finished it. I just finished the latest season. How did I you not get my reference then earlier? Just a, like a moment ago. I don't remember. Okay, well, do you no, now I'm well, now I'm watching it. Was it from season two when he was like learning to when Johnny was learning to use the computer? He was learning. Yeah, and it well. I, no, I think it was before that though. He he was trying to spread the word about it, and so he's handing out flyers. And he like goes up to some kids and hands them a flyer, and he's like, "Yeah, just go." It's like www period cobra kai dot com, and it's all lowercase or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember what the <laughs> URL was, but it was something HTTP. like that. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that show. It's so good. I have a shirt even. A Cobra Kai shirt. Yeah. Why would you have a shirt for the enemy? I mean, I can't say that because I have Decepticon shirts, so I guess. I well, if they had Eagle Fang shirts when I bought it, I would have got one of those instead. Eagle, what did you say? Eagle Fang? Oh, you were clearly not caught up. I'm not going to spoil it for you. You okay. got to finish watching them. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, I should have led with that. No, I haven't finished. Okay. Yeah. 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 Eagle Fang is the best. Okay. Eagle Fang is the best. Well, uh, all right. Well, I tell you what. <clears throat> Get out your favorite terminal and uh, go ahead and CD into your favorite Git repo because we are going to be messing some stuff up tonight on this episode. Actually, you probably want to pick a repo you don't care about. Um, <laughs> yes. But <laughs> so we're going to be talking about all the things that you can do with Git reset. Uh, maybe you don't want to do on a repo that you actually care about. At any rate, um, yeah. So first. How about we give some thanks to all the reviews that we got from last time <clears throat> since the last episode. So big thank you to, let me see if I can get these right now. Jessit Sylvia, Marco Fernando, and <laughs> Sysad Mike 702. That's why I like the Sysad Mike. It looks like Sysad. Yeah, good. You did an excellent job reading. Got them all perfect. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I also, I th- I kind of thought when I thought of the when I read the sysad mic, it made me think of uh, Beastie Boys. Oh yeah, nice. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. <sighs> well, speaking of all, 
Uh, I, I thought I'd be telling you about uh, my Ludum Dare entry right now, but I couldn't do it. Uh, this little thing called uh, Hurricane Ian came through, knocked out my power, knocked out my internet, knocked over a bunch of trees. So, uh, yeah, I did not make a game. Uh, it's unfortunate. So now I'm going to try and find some other jam to do in the future. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I didn't do it. All right. So if if you think that that sounds like a convenient excuse, just write it in the comments. This will be uh, codingblocks.net slash episode 195. All right. Excellent. <clears throat> So we are on with the show. We're, you know, we're actually going to finish the book tonight. The quote book. Yeah. I forgot the name of the title or else I would have said it. <laughs> it's called get from the bottom up. And the uh, author, if I can say this right, is John Vigley. And Alan's Perfect. not here to tell me I got it wrong. So of course yeah. I got it right. <laughs> and, uh, because uh, I'm sure it's not uh, pronounced perfectly. Uh, you can also find a link and uh, the words themselves in the show notes uh, and it's open source book, so you can go contribute, uh, read it all for free. So it's good stuff. Well, that's why I was like quoting like air quoting like book because like, do we still call it a book if it's on the internet? You know, it's like a web page yeah. that at that point, like, I don't know. I mean, I, the crazy thing is, is that, I have found today there are like other people have copies of this book as like, here's the PDF that you can download it from. And what's even crazier is that those PDFs are also hosted on GitHub. Oh, nice. <laughs> Cause so if you haven't already looked at this, uh, air quote book, um, that, that John put out for the world, get from the bottom up, it is hosted on GitHub. So that's why it was kind of weird that there were like other references on GitHub. Yeah, really good. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it is. It is really good. So yeah, let's talk about Git Reset. Yep. Uh, so Git Reset is one of the commands that uh, people are often kind of scared of because it's uh, the one thing that can really kind of you know mess you up really bad if if it goes sideways. Um, there's uh, three different things that it can uh, mess with. In fact, three different things it can touch, and the book refers to them as a, it being a reference editor, an index editor, and a working tree editor. And just to kind of take that backwards, because uh, some of the terms are uh, a little awkward. Uh, working tree, remember, just refers to like your local directory where you're actually doing your work, where you're changing your files. It's like the place where you spend your time. It's your your files. So Git reset can change your files. It can also change the index, which remember that's uh, where you, you um, the file that's used behind the scenes to actually stage your changes before you commit them. And then the reference editor really threw me off there, but really what it's talking about is that head file. So don't let that trip you up like it tripped me up. It took me a minute. And uh, this is kind of a side note there. When I was kind of messing around uh, reading through the chapter and kind of doing some things, uh, I noticed at one point that my head file wasn't getting uh, updated. And uh, it's because I had entered a detached state, uh, d- detached head state at some point. And another file got added called orig underscore head. Have you ever seen that? No. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't track it down to like, you know, work too hard to figure out where it came from and what happened there. But what I, what I figured out is basically whenever I was you know doing changes, expecting head to be modified, it was actually making the changes over in a ridge underscore head. Huh? So. It's kind of interesting. So there's still there's still things that I don't know about Git quite a, quite a lot actually. These oh, this sure. book is 
like definitely the basics, you know, just a, a million flags. We're not covering it. I mean, different uh, verbs. We're not covering just tons of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think I mentioned something like this uh, in one of the recent episodes. I mean, we, we've been using Git, like the three of us have been using Git for well over a decade. And, you know, there's still, like, I thought that I had a pretty good handle on it. And then we started this series and now I feel like I've gotten a much stronger handle on it. Yeah. So oh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I wish I did this 10 years ago. Yeah, we'll have to write a sternly worded letter to John. Why did <laughs> <Yes>. you? <laughs> it's your fault, John. So I was thinking, he like, and I are on a first name basis, by the way. That me from 10 years ago in another timeline uh, gets a visit, you know, book drops out of the sky. Like, <laughs> uh, get from the bottom up. <laughs> like, thanks, future Joe. <laughs> this is the one thing. Like, Why not a sports, uh, you know, sports almanac? <laughs> so, so let's start with, before we get into this, like, do you use reset often? Yeah, pretty often. Um, my, the main thing I do with it though, is sometimes when I just want to make sure I'm absolutely, uh, you know, in sync, I'm doing, uh, I'm in line with, uh, the, my origin, I'll do a reset hard, uh, origin slash, you know, main. And that's what I'm saying. Basically, okay, I've you know I'm done. Whatever, whatever I was working on is done, merged. I'm you know going back to um, working off of you know branching, creating a new branch off of uh, my you know my main, my trunk. And I just want to make sure that I didn't accidentally check something in somewhere along the lines, and I'm just totally trued up. Man, that's a a crazy one. I didn't expect that. No, but okay. I mean, I'll take it. Sure. I have a lot of scripts that do stuff for me too. So sometimes I'll have it like, you know, check out a branch, do this, do that, or, you know, pull in whatever. And so, um, like one of the things I just, I've gotten in the habit of doing is always resetting main before I check out just in, and like, I don't even remember the last time I've accident, accidentally checked something into my local copy of main or trunk, but, uh, you know, it's definitely happened before and can get kind of weird. Huh? So I was thinking of, um, and I shared this as a tip of the week, uh, back, I, I don't know. It was episode one fourteen, where, uh, more often than not, like if I want to do it, it's because I made a commit and then I'm like, Oh wait, I need to undo that, that commit and like fix something about it. And so, uh, you know, I, I had a, uh, reference to a stack overflow article that I always like to this day, like I always double check myself. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, I want to make sure that this is the right command and I'll go and look at that and be like, yep. Okay. I feel, I feel good to proceed. And uh, you know, so yeah. So, so when I do the Git reset more often than not, it has been because I want to like undo that last command. Uh, for what some command reason. would you do? I'm sorry. Last commit. Sorry. Last commit. Do you know, is it like a, a soft reset or a, um, amend. Well, okay, so we can get into this. Um, you, you, I, I would typically do the what would be the default, so I wouldn't specify uh, any other flags to the reset command, okay. which defaults to mixed. Which is a great segue into let's talk about the mixed parameter. Yep. <clears throat> So, uh, this is like, so if you were to do, let's say you wanted to undo the last commit, you want to roll back the commit by one, 
then if you do a git space reset space minus minus mixed, and I'm not going to bother with the spaces anymore, but, uh, and then you did a head, uh, carrot, uh, then you can go back. You can revert your oh man. I hate to use the word revert because I don't want to get caught with get, right. get terminology here. But you can roll back the the your state back to the previous head, and it will <clears throat> what was in that previous commit will now be uh, put back into your working tree. So all of the files that were changed in that previous commit that you're kind of like rolling back will now be put back in your working tree as files that have not yet been or changes that have not yet been staged to the index. Right. Now that's how I put it into words. How would you put it into words? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's pretty good. It's, it's tough to get it exactly right. And it's very important when you're working with, you know, changing files in your index and your working tree and your uh, head that you know exactly what you're doing. What's funny though, is that if you had asked me before uh, reading this section, what I thought would happen if I did a get reset without passing uh, hard or soft and you know, asked me what it did, I would have guessed that it was doing a soft. And I just never really thought about it too much. I don't know if I ever even did it uh, reset without passing uh, a harder soft before. Um, well, yeah, this is again where I was victim of like um, where I've talked about you kind of become a creature of habit and you don't go back and look to see like, Hey, what, what are all the options or, you know, and things like that. And you're like, okay, I, I know that these are the ones that are like, you know, this is my path. This gets me to where I need to be. Right. So I never even realized that there was a dash dash mixed and it, but it is the default. And the reason why I would use that is because going back to what my use case was, if you think about it, it would make sense. Um, because my use case was that I wanted to change something about that commit. I wanted to like, you know, undo something like maybe I didn't mean to check something in then resetting head to go, you know, to point it back to the prior to the commit prior. And then, um, also, uh, putting those changes as, um, back into the working tree. So they aren't staged allows me to then selectively go back and put into the, to stage back into the index, those changes that I did want or that I did mean to have in there. Right. So it makes sense why like that default worked for me and I never bothered to care any further. Right. And also too, we should point out, you know, like in the, in the previous, uh, in that episode one fourteen that are, that are referenced, um, in there that I, I was using tilde, but in the example that I just gave, I said carrot, which carrot would be the parent commit. So, so you're saying the, the parent of whatever head is, right? If we go back to our name terminology and I'm trying to remember the name terminology for like what the tilde would be. Oh yeah. Do you remember? Is, was it a range? Um, no, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't either. I'm going to go, uh, hold on. I'm going to go back and find it real quick. Cause here it is. So if you did the tilde, uh, la, 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 la. Well, maybe this wasn't going to be as quick as I thought. I thought we covered it in episode, whatever this is, episode 192, when we talked about the git commits, but I'm not seeing it there. Let's see. 
Uh, I also thought I was going to guess, uh, I guess 194. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's the number of carrots. And so I guess the one is default. We did kind of cover it, but we okay. said name tilde 10 in the example. Yeah. So we were saying like, you know, the 10, 10 commits. Ago. Yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I love that one. I know you, yours is 20 commits though, when you do your rebase. So we know not to trust your, your PRs. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So what, so, so, okay. So let's, let's say this again, like what all was happening in that reset mixed command, right? So we, we basically did some multiple things at one time, right? One, we updated head to a new ref, which I think the author called it out as like a separate uh, command that you could technically do like get update ref head and then you were, you're telling it what the new commit is which yeah. in this case we're doing head carrot so uh get update dash ref head head carrot so heads in there twice i don't i'm trying to be extra clear on that but um <clears throat> that's one of the things that's happening right yep then the other thing that's happening is all of your changes are just being added to your working tree well uh so adding to the working tree yes um so it's gonna show up as if there are new changes um, but also the last thing is your index is going to get replaced with the changes. So it's going to basically show up as if the, those changes that you had uh, initially committed are going to now be staged and anything that you previously had in that index, things that you had added, but not yet committed are those are going to be gone. Wait, really? No. Yeah. It replaces the changes in your existing index All right, hold with on. the reset commits. Let's try it. So you're saying if I... I have I, been wrong before, even earlier tonight. You're saying that if I have a change staged already, and then I do a git reset dash dash mixed head carrot, right? Yep. That that's going to like roll the changes. It's going to undo whatever I had staged in the index. That's going to be now gone. And the other changes will be... There. Oh, wait, let me do... Let me just make sure what the state was of that file, that example file. Okay, it's so tricky to get it right. So here we go again. So I'm going to do that, and now I do my status, and then I cat that file, and sure enough, so you're partially correct, uh, or unless I misunderstood you, it did unstage the change from my index. Yes. So now all of the changes are only in the working tree. Yes. But the change, the most recent change to one of my files remained. In it's just work- now that it's in the working tree rather than the index. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And it's not in the index. So all the other changes from your working tree uh, that, you know, were, were um, put in there by the uh, get oh. reset and mixed. You know, I forgot. I, I so I can't believe I, I'm ashamed that I forgot this when I was asking you about like, do you use get reset? And we were talking about like more often than not, like when you use it, why you use it. I forgot the number one reason to like, uh, why you might use it. What's that? So if you if you were to get at a file, uh, oh. to, yeah. yeah, if you wanted to undo that get add, you can get reset it. Right. 
Yeah, I do that occasionally. I, I tend to do that in UI though. It's just so easy to do the the minus sign in like VS Code or whatever. To say like, I don't want to stage this one yet. It's not ready. Yeah. So, but that's without using any uh, other you know parameter, uh, any other options on it. Right. Just I'm just doing a get reset in the file name. And the thing that's super scary about that is it sounds it sounds way more destructive. Yeah, totally. Than it is like it sounds. It sounds like it really. It's almost like you sometimes wish that Git, when when it was being made, some of the commands were <clears throat> maybe more. Um, I don't know. Explanatory about what was actually happening. Like you know, maybe like instead of a Git add, it'd be like Git stage, Git unstage, right? You right. know, but then you, if you, you, if you did that, you'd probably have this like vocabulary of commands that would be like so long that nobody would ever remember it. Cause it would be like Webster's dictionary for Git. Right. And, and instead that's why we have these commands that are like, you know, like this, because also you'd think too, uh, like here, here would be a, uh, I'm, I'm kind of off topic here, but it almost sounds too like if, if you said, Hey, I want to undo the changes of this file. Right. It sounds like reset would be the way that you would want to go. Right. Yes. That was my understanding. So but, here's a, but, but you would do a get checkout minus minus on that file. Yeah. That's, that's the terminology. I, yeah. I mentioned it before, like the, it's weird, right? Yeah. It's not really designed for human beings on this planet, <laughs> at least. Yeah. I, but. that, that's, uh, that especially tripped me out in the beginning when I was first trying to learn Git. Yeah. 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 I, I hope that one day somebody makes a Git too and just kind of makes a little bit, uh, I don't know, more consistent. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the way it works and the results I get, but uh, it's some of these things like that is just confusing. You know, you just have to memorize it. Well, I mean, not to, not to skip ahead, but I'm going to skip ahead because, um, you know, as part of the wrap up of the book, the author was talking about, how you know some of these things that are that are difficult like that are you know probably here for the, a long while because of um, tool chains that depend on their current um, functionality and if they were to change it to be more like what we might think that it should be that it would break all of those and you know there might be countless numbers of those so yeah fair that's enough. the depressing part so. Yeah, I got a, a pop quiz for you. Can you... You shoot the hostage. <laughs> uh, there were different pop quiz. Oh. Uh, is it possible to get a conflict due to a mixed reset? I tried. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I also tried. I tried and I couldn't generate a conflict. Yep. And so my uh, my understanding is is that's because of uh, the stage file, the index changes. So you lose any changes that you have uh, that are already in there. And so uh, what happens then is if you did, for example, the commit that you're resetting, let's say you're just resetting one, you made a change to a file. Now your working uh, directory, uh, your working tree has another change to that file. And you do the reset. What's going to happen is the change to the, the most recent state of your working tree is going to be preserved. It's going to be there and it's going to show as outstanding when you do a get status, but the uh, contents of that file 
that were in the commit are going to be staged. Have you ever seen that case? What happens where basically um, you stage a file and then you make additional changes to it and you see it when you do a get status, you see it as both staged and outstanding. Yeah, but that's not going to happen with the mixed with What's dash that? dash mixed. It, now, if we skip ahead to dash dash soft, that's, that's going to be a, a primary difference there between soft and mixed resets is that when you, Get reset dash dash soft head carrot. Let's use the same example that we did for mixed. In that case, it'll roll back head just like it did before to to the parent commit of of what was head, and then uh, the changes from you know that that commit that you're rolling back from those files those changes will still be there in the repo. They will be staged in the index as changes to be committed. So in other words, if you did some, you you change two files, you add them, you get commit, and then you're like, Oh, I want to undo that. So you get reset dash dash soft head carrot. And then you're like, no, I'm good. And you get commit. Those two commits that you did would basically be the same thing. Cause like the files were already staged. It, after you did that that reset, whereas in the mixed example, they are not staged. So what I'm doing here is uh, I've added a new file uh, called Hello World, and um, I've not committed it yet. So if I do a get status, I see the item has been added. It's to be committed. Now, if I go into this file, hello world.txt, and I change it and do a get status... Right. I see the file as being uh, changed to be committed, and I also see it not staged for commit. It's listed yeah. twice. Yeah. Okay. I've yeah. definitely seen that example, but I thought you were saying that in the Git reset mixed that it would leave one of the changes in the the index. So I'm about to find that out. I was just setting the stage. I just wanted to make sure that you know we okay. kind of set that case. So now I've committed. Uh, I, I went ahead and um, you know added the second change. So basically, I've you know got hello world checked in here. So now uh, what I want to do is make a change. To this so I'm going to say I don't know good night world, right? And I save it. So now I do a get status, and I've got the file modified. It's not staged. I'm going to add it. Mm-hmm. So I'm adding the file with the new contents of Goodnight World, and if I do a get status, I've got it uh, staged. So and now you're going to do a reset mixed mixed. And what my guess is going to be before you say this, my what I'm saying is going to happen is that the the head will roll back, and the changes from whatever the that com- current commit were are going to be put into the working tree along with the good night world change that you had staged in your index. I think there's something wrong. Cause that's the exact example that I did. And, yeah, so, and I was trying to generate uh, when I was doing it, I was trying to generate a conflict to see like what would happen. And instead I just saw that my results were getting merged like, or, or at least the st- current state of the file was whatever the, Whatever my last state of the file was, I guess would be a better way to say that rather than merged. Yeah, I, I think I must have goofed something because uh, what happened was almost what I expected. So what happened is the, the contents are still say "Good Night World." Yes, uh, it's not committed, but but it's in the working any, tree. 
It's in the working tree, yes, but I don't yes. have anything in the index. But I expected right. to have it in the index. No, no, no. That's Am I getting I'm, confused again? I'm getting confused with soft. Th- this is exactly the scenario that I was trying to describe. There would be yeah. nothing, because you did a dash dash mixed, nothing will be in the index and the change to your file will be put back into the working tree along with any other changes that that commit that you're undoing essentially um you're you're, you're the one you're you're rolling back from whatever other changes were in there so like if you had i think you had two files right in that in that commit so you should see the one change with your goodnight world and then the other file both in the working tree yes okay yeah and that's because you did the dash dash mixed yeah, I just expected to have it staged as well. No, that's the thing is that the mixed, yeah. the mixed takes, you know, the mixed, what we're learning is it, it takes things out of your, uh, it puts everything into the working tree, even things that were in your index. Right. So it takes whatever that commit mm-hmm. is, whatever the commits that you're like rolling back from and the, uh, Index it puts it all into the working tree. Now that's interesting. What happens if you were to do like multiple? Yeah, it combines them all back into the working tree. Yeah, all back into the not the index working tree. Yeah, I keep saying that. I need to not say that. (laughs) I know it's like this is another example of like where the choice of words. I would not. I I I don't know that I would have chosen the word index to represent the staged area, you know, like yeah, stage would have been great. Great I, word for it. I, 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 I'm a fan, but yeah. So I, I get, I get that one confused too. That one, that one mixes me up. So I have to like force myself to say it so that I can like not get confused by it. Yeah. So okay. the changes, so, so you, you do the reset dash dash mixed the changes, any changes in your index, are put back into the working tree, including yes. those other changes. So is this changes are many? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We had that right in the notes. I was just read re- and read over the notes. So yeah. And it, and it, and if you did more than one, like I said, they would all be, the changes would all be staged or not. Let me not say staged. They would all be put back together into the working tree. I'm updating the notes right now to make it worded very specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to like really scrutinize the wording on these. So, uh, you know, by the time you're listening to this, you can follow <laughs> along in the show notes and, uh, you know, go from there, but okay. So we kind of already like hit on the reset though, or, or the soft reset. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it will, it will take the contents of the, ch- of the commits that you're, rolling back from and put them into the index. So they, they are staged in the index at that point, which I think our, our note here is wrong. Cause, um, yeah, yeah. Our, our command, our, our notes here is wrong. So let me check on that. Alan did this line, by the way, <laughs> Way to throw him under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Uh anything that's wrong that said tonight clearly uh would have to be Alan's fault because he's not here to say otherwise. So yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah, sure. 
Ooh, looking at the book, though, I see where I came from. So I'm just uh, sorry. Sorry, listener. I'm reading very carefully because I don't want to be any more confusing than I normally am. Uh, so if we do a, a, a get reset soft head uh, carrot, so we're rolling back one. Are you talking about that first paragraph? Is that what you're looking at? Uh, there's an example uh, of doing a soft reset, and there's a comment to the right of the example that says almost exactly what we have in the notes. <laughs> so I'm trying to understand what the disconnect is. Um, no, no, no. I was I was looking at the line above, though. Oh, I yeah. wrote that one. Yeah, because that one, that's the one that I'm saying. I think <laughs> okay, yeah, that's definitely wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, just yeah, just look at the history. Okay, yeah, okay. Because soft does touch the index is the point here. Yes, uh, that's uh, so. Like I said, if you out. get reset soft, and uh, we'll just use head carrot as the example. Yep. Those change the changes that were in current head would be reset back to the be staged in the index for the next commit. So, yep. Yeah. And I'm uh, sorry about that. So this is, um, we mentioned doing some experimenting before we recorded. And this is one of the things that I was corrected on before the show started, but I did not update the notes. So I'm just going to delete that line. So, so both this example and the dash dash mix, I mean, these are both kind of similar in spirit to that tip of the week that I had in, in 14. The difference being that the soft will stage them for you. So if you had, if you were trying to undo your last commit and you have like a hundred files and you're like, Oh man, there was like one file that I didn't mean to include. Then it might be more advantageous to you to do the dash dash soft so that you can then just unstage from the index, the one single file versus if you're just working with like small kind of commits and you had like two files, for example, and you only meant to commit one of them and you're like, Oh, let me undo it. You do a get reset dash dash mixed. Uh, you know, at that point, you know, it's going to, it's going to put it back in the working tree. So adding the single file or using dash dash soft and then removing the single file is either way. It's the same, you know, what's the that expression? Like half dozen one, uh, whatever. So yeah, and then you break the eggs. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's it. And you get omelets in a basket. Uh, two broken eggs in a hand. It's worth one in the pan. That's no. yeah. I'm so close. Uh, but yeah, so you got it right. Yeah, I think I got it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is where like the author also made their point though of like you know using this this reset command is doing the multiple things. One of them being the equivalent of that git update dash ref command. Yeah. So, so my shorthand for kind of remembering this is that, um, and this is, you know, r- rough shorthand, but basically a mixed reset reminds me the most, uh, you know, the, the closest thing I can compare it to is like a squash or whatever commits I take is going to take them and it's going to queue up that squash for me. It's not the same as a squash, but it, it basically gets the things on my working directory to a spot just to where I could go ahead and kind of commit everything and it's going to push all those changes together into a single commit. If I just kind of, you know, add them and <laughs> commit them together, the soft reset to me is more like the get commit, uh, amend. 
where it's going to allow me to make changes to those commits. But it gets, you know, it's not a great analogy for various reasons, but that's well, the best way I can kind of think of it. I don't like that analogy it. because in either way, if, I mean, I understand where you're coming at it from the squash perspective, because you're saying like, well, what if I did a get reset minus minus mixed uh, head carrot 10 or yeah. head, head tilde 10, whichever, right? Because you want to go back, like you wanted to undo multiple um, commits in that example. But yeah, it's got me queued up to do a commit then that's going to take the changes from all 10 of those commits and push them into one commit together. But in either way, though, you're the only difference here is whether or not mixed is going to put it into the working tree versus soft is going to put it into the index. But what I really question too, though, let me see, um, is would you actually get both of those things? So let's do this. So I'm going to make a commit here, test for. JZ, and then I will uh, say for this is some kind of test, and then so those cherry reds. Oh man, these are blues. I hate them. Was it blues? Okay. Yeah, they're too quiet. Yeah, need some reds. Yeah, need need the reds. So I'm gonna like do another commit. So. Test 18 billion. Just in case it doesn't so, come through on the podcast audio, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll just clack, 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 clack. No, it'll come through. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So, so what, so I added a brand. So basically what I did was I added uh, one commit that added two new files to my repo. And then I added another new commit that adds another file to the, to my repo. So I'm going to roll back. Uh, to, to two parents before those three files existed and see if all three get added back. And I don't think it matters, but which I do soft or mixed, you got a, you got a preference. Oh, let's do soft. Soft. It is Uh get reset dash dash soft head carrot. And we'll roll back two and boom. Oh, uh, I guess, I'm sorry. I need to, cause, oh yeah, that would be carrot two would be something else. If we go back to our named commits, uh, carrot two would be if the, if the current head had multiple parents. So what I meant to do was tilde two. This is where tilde oh. versus carrot matters. Yeah. Geez. I think, uh, I'm, I hope that I said the right thing. <laughs> wherever else I said it in this episode. Yeah, I uh, pretty much always do tilde. Even for, I don't do like head carrot. You know, typically I always type head tilde one. I know it's more characters, but I just am always in the habit of using the tilde. So it did effectively, uh, it would be the same as it rolling back both of them. I now have all three files that were all brand new to their respective commit. And now staged in my index. So now if I were to make a new commit, it would be as if I j- had introduced all three at the same exact time. So, so going back to your squash analogy, whether it be a soft or a mixed, you could, uh, you could simulate that functionality, right? Yep. Without doing the, the interactive rebase that we talked about before. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, you remember like a, you know, comp sci 101 where like you would get a, a test or an exam 
pop quiz and uh, you'd have to like trace the code and it'd be like what are the values of uh a b and c now at the end it'd be you know lexical scoping and it'd be all about you know figuring out how it works like that's old school we don't need that anymore now we need a test that's like here are the git commands that are going to run on this ref log (laughs) and this this git log here uh what's the final result of this file yeah it's crazy though too like uh in those you know uh, more advanced schools and classes like I'm sure they're they're probably and rightfully so stuck more into the theory of stuff than yeah the practicality of like here's how you use Git because you know why why shouldn't they should they should care more about the uh, more of the theory stuff right yeah I guess so but I definitely uh, help people or not maybe not help people but uh, I definitely see more Git problems than I do uh, problems with lexical scoping. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that's the that's the reality of the of the work environment there, right? Where like, you yeah. know, the the old my the old joke that I've told many times about like, you know, you go to the job interview and it's like some insane problem, you know, and then you get your first day on the job and it's like, okay, we need you to move the logo 3 pixels to the left. Yeah. Right. Oh, I I have a joke for you. Oh, here we go. It's joke yeah. time. Um, don't buy flowers at a monastery. Maybe, maybe I should ask a question. Why shouldn't you buy flowers at a monastery? Cause Jay Z just told me not to. Well, I thought you were going to get it there for a minute. Uh, because only you could prevent florist friars. <laughs> That's micro G. Thank you. Micro. Okay. That was a good one. Well, uh, Okay, since since we're since we're in this kind of humorous mood, uh, do you have any new restaurants around you? Uh, actually, no, no, no. We we just got a new one called Karma. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting though. There's no menu. You just get what you deserve. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it's it, there. These jokes can't get any better than that. So yeah, you're. You're, uh, you're, you're, look, you came to the wrong place for good jokes. I was just thinking I should never go there. <laughs> Karma? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are we learning about Joe? Yeah, I've been dodging karma for years. So let's <laughs> keep going. Okay. Well, um, all right. So I think we've already covered this one about the, uh, if you did the get status that you'd basically see it in your, um, if you did this dash dash soft, you would see them in your, index what does this say i think this is wrong too <laughs> we got our notes wrong oh. I'll, have, I'll have to like fix this and scrutinize it went in yeah we should probably just not even look at them yeah um but yeah so i guess this was your point though like maybe this was another joe comment about like if you wanted to uh you know cheat the system and do your own squash manually is that maybe what you were getting at here did you, cause I'm assuming you added this. I don't know if I did or not. Oh, okay. I don't think I did. Okay. Yeah. Just, um, no more notes. Yeah. No, it's so th- nice. I wish I could see if I had, if we had that time machine that we would use to drop this book off in the past, I would also go to the future and look at our show notes that after they're fixed up, <laughs> but there's another thing here though, that I think is wrong. Right. Is that, uh, which line are you on right here? One the yeah the the one about the amend I think that's yeah. wrong though right because that's for the message. So it is for the message, but uh, it's just 
this is another way you can do that where you can basically do a reset soft head total one or head carrot. And that's going to basically, um, you know, take back your changes and it's going to add them into the uh, index file. And you're, you know, you can do another commit at this point and, you know, type in a new message. So it's a way of allowing you to redo the message, but it also lets you lump in any other changes that you might have staged. Huh. I guess I never had to do a, an amend. I thought that that was just to redo your, your commit message. But yeah, in the Git documentation, they actually show it as being the equivalent of a Git reset dash dash soft head carrot and then a new commit. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes with, I, with I com- do some, the, some commands like, you know, ellipsis in between. Yeah. I didn't realize, I never thought of doing a, a reset for this. I always just did get commit amends. Like if I missed a file or something, you know, um, then that, that, that would be my typical way of doing that. Or of course, fixing the message. But now I've, I've gotten in the habit of just always doing inter- interactive rebase. Uh, and so I'll fix my messages there. I think it's an easier way to, to do it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, I learned something new cause I did not realize that. Uh, I should probably add a link to the one fourteen, and I will do that. Um, yeah. So what was this one? As previously mentioned, if you had other consumers, Oh, so if you have, if you're going to do the, either of these commands, the reset mixed or the reset soft, uh, regardless of how many commits you're going back, if the commit or commits that you're trying to go back have already been shared with others, you need to be careful, right? Because this is, this is the same argument that we had for like rebasing, for example, like the generally speaking, the rule of thumb is if the history has been shared, don't change it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So then Here's where it gets worse. (laughs) So we've talked about dash dash mixed. We've talked about dash dash soft. And then there's dash dash hard. Yes. So um, of all of them, this one can have, well, we say in here that it can have the most consequential, like it'd be the most consequential of the commands, but like really asterisk, right? Because if you really got yourself into trouble and like, like maybe you did a, a get reset soft and you, I'm sorry, you did a reset hard, but you meant to do a soft, right? Yeah. You can technically still go back to the ref log and, and get back to where you need to be. Right. So that ref log is definitely your savior for, uh, you know, getting you back into a state that you want to be in and, and reading it can take some practice admittedly. Yeah. It's right? not a spot you want to be in for sure. Yeah. But, but let's talk about now why, why is it so conse- consequential compared to the others? And the reason is that when you do that, get reset uh, hard. So let, let's go with our, keep with our uh, head carrot not only are you rolling back the commit, but you're also th- throwing away in quotes, throwing away your changes. So you, those changes from the commit that you're rolling ba- or commits that you're rolling back from are neither going to be in your staged indexed 
nor in your working tree. They're just, you've, you've decided I don't like those at all. And, yep. and that's Restoring why I, the previous, you know, to the state of the files in your working directory to what they were at the time of that commit. Yeah. And, and again, that's why I'm trying to be like careful about like, you know, cause technically they are still blobs in the repo. You can go back to the ref log to get back, to get back to it if you needed to. Right. So, you know, all is not entirely lost, at least not for, not until garbage collection happens. Right. So from the moment you do that, get reset dash dash hard head, uh, you know, you've started a counter at that point. Right. So, um, yeah, I think I already said that part. So yeah. So, um, what do we have here? Check out will work similar to the reset hard. There's nothing in the index, meaning it'll change the working tree to what's in head. Yeah, I think I already said all this. Yep. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm trying to catch up. Yeah. So the next part's good. Uh, you're going to like this, and uh, I'm learning to like it. So uh, the author has a suggestion for what to do when you're uh, doing a hard reset. And even though we said we can restore changes from the ref log. Uh, the author recommends doing a git stash uh, before you do your reset. Um, specifically, uh, it, it, an example we didn't, we didn't mention, but basically, um, you're going to say something? You're say well, from floundering here? No, I, th- I think this is assuming, though, that you had staged changes. Uh, let me rephrase that. Um, you have changes that you haven't committed yet. And before you do a reset, you want to preserve those changes, but not commit them. And so his answer to that was to do a git stash followed by a checkout command. And the checkout command is going to go like this, git checkout dash B, and then give whatever your new branch name is, and then head tilde the number of commits you wanted to undo. So uh, just tilde if you only wanted to undo one, but you know if you wanted to undo some number, then you could um, specify that number. Or again, use the, the caret if you wanted to go to the parent uh, commit of head. But the point is, is that you're, you're creating a new branch that goes back to whatever the previous commit is that you wanted to do. And the point that the author was making in this section was he was saying, well, there, there's basically like two points if, we, if I had to boil it down. One is by stashing your changes, you're, you're guaranteed to not lose them, right? You're, they're, they're going to be around, right? And you can even, the, you know, they'll technically even be in the, you know, references to them in the ref log and everything. So, um, and those, those blobs are being created, you know, they're, they're in your repo. But also the point that he's making is, branches as we've t- as we are learning through this whole process they're so cheap so why not just make a new branch to go back to the commit that you wanted to rather than staying in the branch that you were working in why not just create a new branch that is the commit that you wanted to go back to and so uh that that's where he's going from here yeah so i guess a way of kind of making sure you got that backup and we should have said too um you know, we, we mentioned using the ref log to get get back your changes, uh, but uh, that doesn't help you for anything that was in your working tree that hadn't been staged yet. 
Oh, good point. Good point. Yeah. So because, if you were working all day on some stuff and you hadn't staged it, you hadn't committed it and you did it get reset hard. Yikes. Yeah. Fair. V- very good point. And that, and that's the advantage of the stash here is that it would, it would preserve changes that you've both staged into the index and ones that you haven't yet that are just only in the working tree. And instead, both of those would be stay saved off somewhere in a stash. And then the beauty of stash, if you haven't used the stash command is that it's not branch specific. So at any point in time, if you want to, um, you know, pop that off the, off the stack, you know, you can, and I guess stack would be a bad, a bad phrase there. Cause that would imply like, you know, some kind of a queuing like first in first out or something like that. But really it, it you know, the stash is, you can, you can put them in there in any order. You can pull them out in any order. I guess you can't put them in there in any order, but you you could pull th- you can pop things from the stash in any kind of order. You could do a git stash list and you can see all the things that are in there. And then if you're like, wait a minute, what was in that one? You can do a git stash show and then specify the stash number. And uh, you can actually see the changes that are in that, that thing and be like, yep, that's the one I want. And you can choose to pop it, which would remove it from the stash, or you can just apply it to get stash pop and then the, the number or get stash apply and the number and the apply will leave it there for you. And I do like to give, you know, if I know I'm going to stash something for a long time, this is off topic, but if I'm going to stash them for a long time, I like to give it a meaning, more meaningful name or message to, you know, like this is what I was trying to do at this point in time. So, uh, you can, you can do that because by default, if you don't, then I believe the default is just it'll give it this weird name number that'll be like a uh like at and then in curly braces a number of whatever the next available stash is, and then it'll be like whatever the met the current um message commit message is for the current state of head at that time. And I believe it might even put like a, no, I don't think it puts anything else. I think it's just the the message, right? I'm going to try it. I have been scared of git stash. Really? I, I've misused it before and lost changes. And, uh, you know, obviously I was misusing it. And ever since I'm like, yeah, you know, what? let me just keep, let me just create a branch. It's easy to create branches. It's easy to edit commits. Why don't I just create a branch? And I understand that stash, you know, I understand the advantages of it. Like it's, it lets me get what I want without uh, much burger moral. It's really uh, flexible and I don't have to commit things that shouldn't be commit. But, uh, you know, branches are pretty easy too. But I'm going to make an effort to use stash more often because I should really get comfortable with it. Okay. I hope it's wrong. It does, it does prepend a, a thing on it. So it'll say um, like WIP for work in progress. So work in progress on whatever your branch name was that where you created the stash colon, and then it'll have uh, enough uniqueness of the commit ID and whatever the message was for the current commit message head, current commit message of whatever head was at that time or the commit of the shaw that it's showing you. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say there, but it, and, and all of that's going to start at the beginning with like whatever the stash ID is for that thing. So it'll be something like stash at curly braces, some number colon work in progress on branch name, colon commit Shaw commit message. So yeah, 
there, there, that was like one gap though, that if I had to make a recommendation for the book that there's, I think there should be more about stash. I think it should have gotten its own, uh, you know, portion of the book, but I guess it makes sense that it didn't though, because if we are talking about the nuts and bolts of like get from the bottom up, then it's like, you know, who cares? Like, you know, you, you, you learn how to use stash and move on about your day. I think you're muted. Oh no. How long? Oh, you missed my beauty, beauteous wisdom. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> we can always do an episode on get stash. The next chapter talks about it a little bit, but uh, not in very practical terms. Yeah. So. And uh, it's definitely something I need to get better at. So I'm down with that. Um, uh, okay. So where do we at in the notes here? I think we talked about that. I think we talked about those, right? Uh, yeah, I think we're, we've been pretty much this. Yeah. You know, uh, I never did, um, get check out uh branch. I didn't know that you could pass a uh, commit hash or uh, you know, head tilde three or whatever there. I thought that was pretty cool. I've definitely been in situations where uh, I've committed something and then like, done some you know weird jazz to kind of like go back in time and create another branch off something before that commit and you know basically if it's an experimental branch or something and it would have been just much easier if i had done something like this so that was cool it figures that uh considering you know the the inventor of git right yeah mr travols would have like some kind of uh awesome way to like short circuit every command ever yeah for sure But I too, I, I didn't know about that either. My my um, uninformed way of doing it would have been in the case of this this get head three or get uh, I'm sorry head tilde three example that we were using. I would have probably uh, like just done a git checkout of that commit, yep, and then from there did a, did a separate command to create a branch. Off of it, so I would have done it as two two commands, which you know is awful because it's like twice as long as the other way. Well, that and it, plus, I, I think that we do kind of a disservice by encouraging people to just use the three commands that you can get by with, um, because uh, I've like ingrained those you know few commands that I'm comfortable with so hard that there's smarter ways of doing things, and it's not just saving commands. Sometimes like it's literally better ways of doing what I'm trying to do. It's safer. It's more flexible. It's uh, easier. It's more expressive. It's you know designed to do the things I want to do, and I'm like doing these weird gymnastics, and sometimes I'm screwing up things. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I wish I would have done this much earlier. I don't know that I would say that we're necessarily screwing up things, but I, I do agree. I mean, this is the thing that I've, I've made reference to many times, right? Where it's like, I know the set of commands and the parameters that I need on like the 99% of my, you know, days. And that's what I, that's the pattern that I use. And, you know, when I get into like, you know, weird, uh, like get, repo administrative type projects, then I'll like go digging in for like other commands and, you know, things to do. But on the day to day, I'd still stick with like, here's my, here's my toolbox of commands that I, I know that I use on the regular. Yeah. But it stinks that the times you go looking for those new commands, there's like the times when you're feeling really stressed and you just want to do whatever's like safest and you know, it's going to work, you know, you're like under duress. Well, I mean, Maybe in the example that you're giving, the example that I was giving, though, I was doing like repo admin um, projects. So it wasn't like stress. It was just, you know, that's the project. Yeah. That's the next thing I'm working on. You know, 
I, How about I get some of those? Can we, give me some of those tickets. Well, I mean, this is where like, you know, I've had, uh, I don't call it the luxury, uh, or the pleasure. I've had the task, the job of like migrating our repos over multiple times from multiple different things. I, I you know, I've, yeah, I don't want to do I've that. been tasked with like, you know, taking repos that are, uh, TF, TFS repos and migrating those to Git while also keeping all of the version history from the TFS repo, but making them as commits I've had, you know, to like migrate it from, uh, on-prem Git to Azure, from Azure to on-prem, from on-prem to GitHub Enterprise or, you know, to GitHub. Yeah. So like I've had to do these where it's like for countless, for like a large number of repos too, not just like a single repo. And so that's where like I, that's what I'm referencing when I say these times where I've had like projects where I get into like Git admin, repo admin kind of mode. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I need to, go and do some other stuff. So, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how you learn. Uh, so look at the next part. So if you decide, uh, so we're kind of talking about our, our, the example we were talking about a, a few minutes ago, where basically we're, um, you know, doing some admin oh, yeah. type things and we're, um, you know, we, we, if you remember, we talked about the command, check out uh, the new branch based on, you know, head tilt or something to kind of create a new branch from uh, a couple of commits ago. And if we decide that we want to replace our uh, old branch name with the new one, then there's a couple of commands you can run. But uh, I wasn't very impressed with this. Like, it just this is how I would have done it. Like, I would delete the old branch name, and then I would create uh, a new branch. If you recall, this is the exact example that I gave a few episodes back when I was talking about how, um, you know, you can't rename a branch. And I was giving an example of like how I would rename a branch, like quote, air quote, like rename yeah. a branch by technically deleting the old branch and then creating some new branch. So that's what the author is doing here is that, you know, going back to that example of where we did the get checkout dash B, some new branch head tilde three, right? Where we, we, where we combined the creation of a branch with checking out some specific commit. Um, then, uh, th- now we're saying like, Hey, do a git branch, uh, minus uppercase D to delete that old branch name and then create the new branch. And here they do a git branch minus M with whatever that new branch name is to the old branch name. And, uh, now you've effectively, you know, renamed old branch to something new. Now, what does the M mean? Um, I think that's in this case, I think they were trying to set the main branch. Am I wrong? Oh, I think, I, Oh no, move. It's a rename. Sorry. Okay. But you did have to, uh, to delete the old version first, the old yep. name. Yep. And then you can, then you can reset term that name. I guess you can rename the branch then. Oh, I just, but in that case though, Hmm. Yeah, dash M for me. There I go for looking for new documentation again. Yeah, I now I know. This I learned. I can rename a branch without <laughs> jumping through 52 hoops like I used to. So dash M for move. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the important thing here, though, Lowercase. is that, like, if this is a shared branch, 
then, you know, there's definitely some additional cartwheels to, to perform, right? Like mostly around communication. <laughs> like, Hey everybody, we're going to trash the old branch, you know, and, and if you're using that one, be aware that it's going away and being replaced with a new version of it. Right. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, I mentioned that the lowercase M is uh, what we're talking about here for a move. Guess what? Capital M does force. Yep. It adds a force. So you can actually do a rename. with a capital M, but you have to really mean it <laughs> to be careful. Yeah. Um, huh? Yeah. I th- yeah. Maybe it's a new thing. I don't know. I was reading something earlier today, coincidentally, because I had gotten some questions about some stuff with Git and like the stuff, the articles that I were reading were like, well, if you're on this version of Git, then your world is hell. And like, you're off over here and like, here's why you're in this world of pain. But, you know, starting with this other version, then you can do X, Y, and Z and, you know, things got better. So this is why, like it, this is why I don't bother to keep up with <laughs> you. Commit. Like, I'm not going to like every time you do a, uh, an update, are you going to like, you do it, you do a, an app, get update. Are you going to like go and read the documentation for every package that updates? Like no, way. namely Git, for example. No, nope. So that's why I'm so guilty of like, I'll just stick with the commands that I know. And, and then when I need it, I'll go digging. No telling how long that one's been there though. Yeah. I wonder, uh, I might try, I took a little note here. I might try to take a look at that and try to get updated in the book. That'd be kind of cool. For all I know, that one's been there forever. And, uh, I just never needed it until I did. Yeah. All right. Well, so, um, all right, so I think we already talked about the recommendations, though, for using the stash and branch, right? Yep. So basically, so, you know, if you've got changes that you're kind of working on, you're you know don't want to lose them, like why not go ahead and just stash them because it's basically so cheap. Um, you know, why not? Unless you're Joe, and then in which case you never trust stash. I'm dying to know how you like could have used stash and messed up your environment. I probably applied it to the wrong branch or did something dumb. I don't know. It was probably like ten years ago. Wow. Oh. Or I popped it when I meant to apply and didn't realize I lost those changes and I didn't know about the ref log at the time. And, you know, I don't remember. Just kind of left me with a sour taste. And I was like, never doing that again. Yeah. So he, he, the author, he definitely made the recommendation of like, anytime you're, you're going to do the reset hard stash first. But that again implies that you have changes that haven't yet been committed that, and that's the reason why you would need to do the stash. He also it makes sense though. Like anytime you're going to do anything destructive, like why not kind of take a cheap backup? Yeah, he he made this. Uh, well, I think are we going to get to it later? Maybe I won't skip to it just yet. Yeah, I think we're going to get to it later. So I'll I'll, I'll pause on that thought. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Retool Internal Tools. And by that, I mean any custom software you build to help your employees operate better can dramatically impact every part of your business. But building internal tools from scratch and maintaining them requires a lot of engineering time and tedious work. 
Retool is a much faster way to build your internal tools. Retool offers a complete library of 100 plus fully featured accessible UI components that you can drag and drop into any interface. It's one platform to build your interface, connect to any data source or API, and publish employee-facing apps in record time. It's also flexible. You can write custom code nearly anywhere to customize how your app looks and works. And app environments, single sign-on, permissions, and other critical app functionality are all available out of the box. The result? You can build production-grade internal tools without the wasted effort of Googling component libraries, debugging dependencies, or rewriting boilerplate code. Thousands of teams at companies like Amazon, DoorDash, and NBC collaborate around custom-built retool apps to operate better. And teams of up to five can build unlimited retool apps for free. To learn more, visit retool at retool.com. That's R-E-T-O-O-L dot com. Okay, so I'm going to get to it before Joe does. And if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you did. In fact, that was actually, (laughs) I think it was Marco's uh, comment um, that he said that he uh, was basically doing this because of all my begging. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It wasn't Marco. It was uh, Jessica Silva that said, uh, after years of listening, he uh, he decided to succumb to my request. So thank you. Um, yeah. So if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We do. Uh, you know, they really do mean a lot to us. Um, it's that small little way that you can uh, thank us if you enjoy this podcast. So uh, yeah, you can head to www.codingblocks.net slash review for some helpful links and. Uh, I guess there's no survey says since it's just one person. That would be weird. Yeah. Sad. Sorry. Yeah. There's no contest when it's just one person. Why can't there be two of you, Joe? Hey, sometimes there are. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty sure. Are there? Feels like it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, let's talk about stashing and the ref log then. All right. So uh, there are two ways that blobs, remember um, blobs, um, what did it start look, binary objects? I forgot what the L stood for. Um, okay, hold on, I gotta look this up. This is one of those things where like, I feel like I use the word blobs all the time. Binary large object. Okay, so there's two ways. Sorry, that, um, I was muted. I was muted because I was like uh, putting the desk down and yeah. I didn't want to like, have all that noise in the background. Were you going, blah, it's large, it's large the whole time. No, I was just biting my tongue. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's two ways that blobs can make it into the repository. Uh, one is the ref log, which is the thing that uh, Outlaws mentioned many times and is the master of, uh, which is basically a metadata repository that records everything you do in your repository. And um, I'm trying to think of a good way to kind of express this other than like it's kind of a, an ocean uh, that stores... <laughs> uh, I'm trying to basically go for like data lake. It's like, it's kind of a copy of, uh, the, you were talking about the ref log. Yeah. We're talking about a ref log. It's like a, literally a linear log of, um, I don't want to say commits though. To me, if I had to make an analogy, it would be like a bash history kind of thing. Like, okay. I like that. It, it's literally like a history of 
the actions that you've do, you've done and the things that get did for you, like you might not even realize that you were doing some of those things, but yeah. the commands that you did had these other side effects. Like for example, you do a get pull and that's actually doing two things, a fetch and a merge, right? So some of these commands that you do might actually be doing multiple things. And in that ref log is the history of the things that are happening as well as the commit IDs uh, that that they were happening at, right? Yeah, and I guess the reason I was kind of reaching for Ocean is that um, the way I, the way I kind of use the rough log sometimes is usually when I kind of mess up one of my trees or I destroy one of my trees or I do something that kind of messes with the chain of uh, commits as they're stored in inside of a tree, and I want to go and try and kind of reconstruct that or try and find something that's no longer uh, a part of my tree, and so you know. It's something that kind of feels lost to me, but I'm able to kind of go diving into this history and recover it. Uh, so that you know, that's my kind of like the way I interact with this. So that's the way I tend to think of it. But I, I think that the bash history analogy is much better. Yeah, I mean that's at least the way I've always thought of it. But it it's still, I mean, I've, I've looked at it several times, and I and I have successfully like navigated my way through it, but there's still, it, it's still in a weird kind of format to me. Uh, this would, this would be one area that I definitely would have thought would, would be more fitting. Like when I saw the, the table of contents for this book, I definitely thought we would be getting into more detail about the, the ref log and yeah, then what, what it did, but you know, maybe, uh, you know, it's a, it's a Git repo. So you could contribute to the book and sure. submit a PR. Can you edit the ref log? Could you destroy it? I'm sure but it's a if file. If you were to manually edit it, I would have to assume it's just a file under the Git directory, right? Let's go poke around. Let's yeah, do I it. I don't know. I don't know where that... Oh, I guess it's going to be the refs folder. Nope. I was thinking it'd be in the logs folder. But yep. It is the logs folder. Yeah, it's got all my changes right there. So my uh, git, if I do a git log on the branch that I've been messing around with tonight, I've got two commits. But my uh, ref log has 22 entries. That's because I was, you know, undoing and resetting, doing just kind of messing around with all sorts of stuff. And uh, yeah, I can see exactly what I did do. Wait, so in your refs directory, where are you uh, under? Sorry, uh, it's under dot git, of course, uh, logs, uh-huh. refs slash heads. And then I've got one for my main branch. Yeah, but I mean, I've got I've got multiple branches, so I see multiple files. Yeah, there's yeah. So I just went to the one for my main branch because I've only been working with one tonight. Okay, I mean, it's in a different, it's a more verbose format. It looks like than what's in the the file versus what you see from a Git ref log. Output. Yeah, it was kind of surprising to me. Uh, you would think, if anything, the Git ref log command would kind of. Uh, I don't know, enrich that data instead of trimming it down a little bit. But you can see that it it maps, you know, it mirrors. Yeah. Or mirrors, not a great word, but yeah. Now, this was one of the interesting points, though, uh, like a a takeaway that the author gave that wasn't maybe intentional. 
or, or at least maybe wasn't like the point he was trying to make at the time that I took it. So I mentioned earlier that, um, if you, if you did that, get reset, you know, um, like the hard, for example, that you were setting a, a ticking time bomb of like when that thing would be garbage collected away. Yep. 30 right? days by default. So it's in the, it's in your ref log because it's still in your ref log. It's 30 days by default. But I thought that prior to this conversation, when we were talking about like, I don't remember if it was related to commits or, or trees or branches or whatever, but in one of the prior episodes, I thought that the reference was 90 days was the default for, for um, orphaned uh, blobs. I, I, I guess technically I think it was just orphaned. Um, what was the word? Yeah. I mean, I think blobs is right. Um, well, but, but I, I want to also include, well, no, no, no. Yeah. 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 The blob would be correct because um, commits and, and, branches wouldn't. So any blob that wasn't referred to, uh, that wasn't reachable by a commit, I thought that those were 90 days. So what struck me as odd here was it one, I was questioning myself, like, was I, am I remembering that right? Was it 90 days? Uh, I thought we said 30, but I'm trying to verify that. Okay. Cause then the other, the other thing was like, Oh, that's, that would be, uh, odd that the blob garbage collection had a longer retention than what, than this ref log cleanup was. I wonder if there's a, a command you could run to see what that number is exactly. Cause, cause basically said another way, the 30 day thing for the ref log, as I re- recall it from our, our discussion so far was that the ref log was basically keeping 30 days worth of stuff, period. Uh, so I thought it was, so I thought it was 30 days. And I, I think when we talked about it initially, uh, I talked about like wanting to know how they figured out if anything was pointed to, because it seemed like a slow operation to, uh, have to go through and look at all my trees to figure out what was pointed out and what wasn't. But now it kind of makes sense to me. It's like, Oh no, just use the ref log, trim the, the ref log back uh, every 30 days. And so, you know, it's got timestamps in there so you can do that. And then all you have to do is run through this ref log and see, you know, well, that was the exact conclusion that i came to at the time yeah because i too questioned like how it would go through like every blob but then at at the time that we were talking about that other garbage question i was like oh now it makes so much more sense because it could just go through the ref log so yeah yeah, maybe it was just 30 days then because i guess 30 days for both would make more sense well here's the important question is how do you tell what your setting is like you should be able to you know under git config or something you should be able to see what your uh you know, garbage collection days are set to. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I don't know how to do that. I think the difference here though, um, cause, cause there's a git log ref, uh, a git, uh, a, ah, blah, 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 blah. Let me try this again. There's a garbage collection ref log expire. Um, flag so you can you can prune that independently but to see the configuration of it 
Because another thing that I've been questioning too, from a garbage collection point of view, is that you're not running a Git server. So this garbage collection is only going to happen on the next command where it needs to make it happen. Right. Right. So it's not a, a daemon running. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like there's no server process running. Um, so the, even the, the 30 and 90 day thing, the, those are kind of like in quotes, right? Because if you never, if it's your local repo, and it's not running as a service for anything, then there's nothing that's going to automatically purge that after 30 days. So if you come back 120 days later, you're still going to see everything and it's going to be on that subsequent command that I think that it'll start making decisions. Right. Yeah. That makes sense to me. But I've also had times where like I've had Git tell me I needed to do the cleanup myself. Oh, really? But I think in that scenario, that was just because of like the size of it had gotten kind of, it wasn't, I hadn't passed the date yet, that, you know, of whatever that, exp- that configuration is that we can't find. But I had, uh, you know, reached some kind of size limitation that was causing problems for it. And I forget what the error exactly is, but it's something like the pack, pack objects. Um, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking Get about? Objects slash pack. Yeah, Git identifies similar objects. We'll compress them into a pack. Packs are like zip files of Git objects, and they live in a Git objects pack directory. Yeah, I mean, it says that you should be able to do it from a Git config, though. So, yeah, so it seems like I should just be able to Git config list and see it. But yeah, I did a system dash l global dash l. Uh, I was trying to figure out like what the fault values are. Um, I do see uh, one article on Atlassian.com referring to the Git ref log expiration actually being 90 days by default. So I'd really like to see that. Well, I mean, in the Git GC configuration, there are uh, there 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 is configuration and it shows the defaults. So I would assume that in the config, like if you listed it out, whether it be for the local repo, global, or system, that you're not going to you're only going to see overrides you're not going to see all yeah. the defaults mentioned so i wanted to see the defaults but so so check this out you're going to like this your memory is amazing uh git uh sorry uh, gc.reflog expire is an optional variable that defaults to 90 days it's used to set how long records and branches reflogs should be preserved then there's a second setting called gc.reflog expire unreachable which defaults to 30 days and is used to set how long inaccessible ref log records should be preserved. Okay. So I, I had the numbers, right? But I just for different reasons. Yep. And the reason you were probably seeing that, that error of uh, that message about um, the pack yeah, garbage objects. collection. Yep. Uh, there's a uh, various, there's a couple other settings that um, you know refer to kind of like timeouts and uh, various sizes when it comes to like the, compression and various sizes and so uh if it um you know if it sees that spending too much time in compression or taking up too much space it'll recommend that you uh go and run that uh compression or sorry not compression that uh uh, garbage collection i i will say this though that like you know prior to going through this series right like old michael would have 
gotten that message about like, oh, you need to go and get garbage collect manually. And I would have just been like, okay, do it. Be as aggressive as possible. Delete everything. Yeah. But now I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to do that. Like maybe, maybe I want to be a little bit more selective. Yeah. You know, like, uh, especially like if I had some things that I'm like, you know, not in a good place, let's say, Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and you're I'm probably not, if you're seeing those messages, like you're probably doing some funky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of articles just on garbage collection and Git. it's pretty cool. You want to know the, the weirdest, uh, Git command. What would you say is the weirdest Git command, by the way, the weirdest Git command. Uh, geez, I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, I think they're all kind of weird. <laughs> well, get config is definitely strange to me that I can't see config values. So I'm going to go with that one right now. Mine is going to be just based on name alone. And it's the re, re, re. Oh, I've, we've talked about this before. Have we? We've talked about so. re, re, re. I think you brought it up. It's reuse recorded resolution of conflicted merges. Okay. Yeah. I, I swear we've talked about that before. No. Get out of here. Get out of here. All right. Well, while you're searching the website. Um, all right. Where did we leave off? We have been so bad tonight, Joe. This is why Alan cannot leave you and I alone because we will not stay on script. I have no idea where we are. Um, all right. So we were talking about, uh, blobs and uh, we were talking about uh, the ref log. So if you modified foo.java, but you didn't add it to the index or anything, you can still see the blob exist by doing the git hash object foo.java. We, we talked about this before, like at the very start of this series that you could see like what the hash, uh, the SHA that would be created for that file by using git hash object. Right. Um, so again, he talks about stashing your changes at the end of the day uh, as a way to, you know, it, stashes are cheap. It's an easy way to go ahead and get all of your files, uh, to go ahead and get blobs created for them and to get a record in your local Git repo of those changes. And then the next day, you can just come back in and do a Git stash apply and go on about your day, Right. But he, the author actually takes this to an extreme. He takes it a step further and includes the contents of a shell script that you could either A, add to your local bin path so that you could run this script, you know, and I think he called it, um, uh, it started with an S. Um, oh, man. Looking. What was the get so much for that good memory that you were talking about, Joe, you jinxed me, <laughs> you jinxed me. It's all your fault. I'm going, clicking, clicking. He called it a snapshot. So, uh, yeah. So he, script. he got it. He, he, he gives you this command so that you could do get space snapshot and you know, run it, it runs the, the get stash and, and get stash apply all in one step for you. So that that way, um, you don't even have to worry about stash applying later the next day. It's, it's already back, but you've also created all the blobs. 
for you. Now, that would be kind of a nuisance in my workflow, though. I don't know about you, because I will periodically do a get add at at certain points when I'm like, okay, I, I know that this file is like how I want it, get at it, which technically I've created the blob, right, at that point. Yep. But, uh, and I'll continue working. And in the use of stash here, your changes are going to be when you stash and then stash apply. Yeah. Because the default stash action is to save. So get stash and, and get stash apply is going to save it and then apply it out. And it's still left. He's still leaving it in the repo because he's not popping it. Did you notice that? Yeah. So, um, then what's going to happen there is, it's just going to be put into your working tree, not in back into the index like I had it. So that that part would kind of annoy me. But um, because it's being left in your stash history, he had a, another uh, example, another command to use the ref log to expire uh, stashes that are 30 days after, after 30 days old. Um, but here's where he takes it even to a more extreme and he suggests using it in a cron job. Yeah. Now, would you do that? Uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. I don't think I would get a lot of mileage out, out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, the idea being that you set a cron job for like say every hour or so. And then, then at any point you can go look at the state of your files every hour, which is pretty dang powerful when you think about it. So if it's like, Oh, that thing I'd started on this morning and decided not to do now I want to do it. Uh, you know, you can go and kind of roll back to that, which is really cool. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I just don't. I that doesn't come up that often in practice for me, especially with you're trying to like commit stuff and merge in every day. So it's never really that far away. The this the running it hourly was definitely like peculiar to me. Like I, I like I said again, consider what my workflow is. Right, like I would find that hyper annoying. And also another reason why I wouldn't want to cron that thing is that let's say, let's say you had it run at the zero zero of the hour, the top of the hour, right? So every zero zero, it's going to run and you're trying to package together a large PR, right? And you're reviewing Uh, all your changes. (laughs) It is, it is the 59 minute mark and you're still reviewing your changes and then you're like, okay, yep, that's I did mean to change that one. Get at it. You go to your next file. You're reviewing it. Yep, I did mean to do that one. And you go back and look. And now this command has kicked in because it rolled over. The clock rolled over zero zero. And now all of your files that you had added to the index have been removed from the index and back to the working tree. Yeah, like that, which would is be- rough for your workflow. But for the rest of us that just do add. Dash oh my a. gosh, Joe, <laughs> Joe. Yeah, it's not really a big deal, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's kind of like a you know a, the, the use case you mentioned is definitely valid. I do. Uh, I don't add files, kind of you know, as I'm working. Typically, it's something I do like right before the commit. Um, and, but uh, there are some IDEs and some other tools that will kind of want to add by default. Like IntelliJ does this thing where whenever you create a new file, uh, the first time it'll pop pop up and say, would you like to add this to Git? And the, if I remember correctly, the, the things, the options you have are yes, uh, cancel 
and always do this always. But I don't want I want to cancel always. And it's never been clear to me that there's a way to cancel always. So I you know I don't want to add it because I'm still working on it. You know, I'm just adding this file. So I you know it could, sometimes every once in a while I'll get a file added, you know, because I clicked the wrong box or whatever. So I need to make another correction. Can we like uh like which errata number are we at for things that Michael said wrong? Like eight billion one. No, that's probably too small a number. Eighteen billion and one. Uh, should have snapshotted. I just i I just did a, a test. It did Doesn't. reapply it back to my index, not okay, the working so, tree. So his so example, good. it would work exactly You're like fine. I would be happy with. It. So okay, I'm sorry, I messed up. It did okay. apply it back. I'm man, so I, my, I'm so impressed with Git. Like every day, the more we yeah. go through this, the more I'm impressed with this. So I guess the you know if you've got a big repository, maybe there can be some like you know noticeable de- delay between you doing the stash and the apply. Yeah, large repos suck. Yeah, just don't I mean, do it. I think GitHub has a recommendation that like your repo should not get beyond I think two gig, if I recall. You mean twenty gigs? And I haven't had the luxury of working in a repo that small <laughs> for quite a very long time. Um, so, yeah, at any rate. Uh, yeah, you got to check in all your uh, home movies, you know. <laughs> I, I remember I remember when I f- went first learning about Git and people were talking about using it as a uh, like a, a, a mechanism to take backups of the operating system. Yeah. Remember, do you, did you ever hear anything about that? Do you remember reading anything like that? Where people, no, where, I've done some stuff that was like kind the, of nonsensical in that vein. Your root, your root, uh, drive is the, is the start of the repo. <laughs> and then yeah. you're just like, get add everything recursively, get committed. And then, you know, yeah, that's insane. I wouldn't suggest doing that. It's not what it's intended for. I do want to call out though, that the reason why that get ref log is, Spirey command is important as it relates to the stash. Cause again, we're continuing on with the author's example of like, you know, doing this stash and stash apply, not a stash pop, but a stash apply, um, workflow. So often. And the reason why you want to use that ref log command instead is you might be tempted to do a skit stash clear. But if you did that, you would lose all the history. And so instead, if you do this git ref log expire dash dash expire equal 30 dot days dot uh, or no, that was a space uh, space refs slash stash, then it will um, just let the old stuff age out. The old stashes age out of the system rather than losing everything. Yeah, I was just looking at the notes. I think we, uh, I think we hit it all. We do. We finished a book. Oh my gosh, we finished we finished one. a book. We finished one. Yeah, if you uh, answered this this book on the poll. Then, uh, <laughs> then you did it. You got it right. Yeah. So yeah, let's just put a comment in the show notes, and we will send you a free link to the book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess we should probably just take a moment, you know, thank you, uh, John Vigley for putting this out in the world. This is some really great stuff. Um, you know, like I said, 
I considered myself to be, you know, a pretty seasoned Git user. And I still feel like I have walked away from this open source book with, uh, just that much more knowledge, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are, Joe, but yeah, I I definitely feel like I I walked away from it with a lot more than what I went into it with. And I thought I had a pretty good understanding before. Yeah, it was, it was really good. And it was a tight book, you know, like, uh, it wasn't like, uh, some 200 page, whatever, like it was really concise and really got, uh, got its punch card. So, so I, I really liked it. It was a good read. And the author has like a sense of humor about stuff too. So that was good. And to your point, you know, like some of these quote chapters were like a paragraph. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah, for sure. Like some of them are super short, uh, depending on like, you know, how much needed to be said. So, yeah. So, uh, we'll have links in the resources. We like section to, um, uh, you know, obviously to this book, but it's more specifically to the specific chapter that we're working on. And, um, with that, we'll, we'll move on to Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. I, I got a bunch of them. So I'm going to go. Yeah, you fast. do. There you go. <laughs> so it's really kind of one. So a couple of weeks ago, Alan mentioned Obsidian on the show. And Obsidian, if you don't remember, uh, is a it's a note-taking app that operates on markdown files in the local directory. So it, literally when you're setting up what they call Vault, you pick a directory for it to go in and it puts all your files there. And then the value add is basically they've got a rich client that sits on top. So it's got like a nice search engine so you can search the files in that uh, directory. It's got, um, you know, you can do tags and stuff. You can embed images. And it's just got some kind of niceties on top of it. But it's all built on Markdown, which is really nice because I just migrated out of Evernote, which I used for years and I really liked not Markdown files. So the migration process was rough. And they had some ways to export, but it was in some other funky, you know, format. And so I just ended up doing it manually. And deleted a ton of stuff that I didn't feel like transitioning. But in this case, yeah, you just, you know, you've got the files. So they're yours. You can stick them in Dropbox if you want and just use this product totally free. And you're just using the, you know, client side. Uh, You're using the client on the client side. But you can also pay for, you know, sync and other things like that. So, um, you know, that's why you would want to use it. So just kind of wanted to mention that. Yep. Well, I guess I'm still trying to like wrap my head around this thing because like, uh, I don't even remember Alan re- re- referencing this. You said he referenced it recently. Yeah, he was looking for like a note taking app to use at work, and he didn't want to like use some cloud service because he didn't want to send his changes up. He just wanted basically a, a nicer uh, note taking app than what uh, you know uh, you can get via you know Mac OS. I guess I'm just because um, I use VS Code a lot for my notes, but you're saying that this would be better a better option than VS Code. Yeah, and um, so I'll and I'll tell you a couple reasons why. So uh, one, you know, it's uh, it's got that rich client interface, so it's good for like searching. So you know, things like stimming and things like that. Um, you know, you don't have to do regex searches like not pure text. It's got some contextual stuff in there. Uh, it's all got it got really nice um, support for like cross linking. So for example, if you uh, you know you have a daily to do list and you want to link to some meeting notes that you took in the meetings folder, and you can just do like bracket bracket in the name of that file, and it knows that okay bracket bracket means it's a link to something that's in this directory here. So it's just a nice way to be able to kind of nav- navigate around quickly, and it's got really nice support too for just for Markdown. So when like you do like your um, you know your text typing, it basically as soon as you leave that line, it converts it to Markdown. So rather than having like preview pane on the right, it's mixed. 
which is just a, a nice user experience. It's almost like a, it's almost like a Jupyter notebook at that point then where like you've ran that statement and now you just see the totally. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a really good uh, analogy there. And also uh, it's got support for like em- embedding files and stuff. So I'll take a screenshot, paste it in there. And what it'll do is it'll take that image and throw it in a, in a directory and then it just does a link to it. And then as soon as I leave that line, it shows the image. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Cause this is what could win me over. I, when I'm taking like notes like this, you know, I'll have like some kind of scratch pad, you know, for whatever notes and, it, and you know, for years it was sublime. And then, uh, Adam came along and it was VS code now. Right. Yep. I do not save. Yeah. It does it for me. Yeah. It does it for you. Well, then you won me. Yeah. No saving. <laughs> and also, uh, I think, um, I, I'm not sure. Cause uh, I've, I started paying for it now, uh, $10 a month because I want, uh, some syncing features and some other stuff with the mobile app. Um, so it does have a history of changes. I'm not sure exactly how that works if on the free plan. Wait, uh, there's a $10 plan. Oh, wait, no. So I oh, do it. $8. Plan. It's confusing. Uh, the, the, the thing that I pay for is the syncing feature, which I believe doesn't show up in the normal place on the pricing, uh, page. It's kind of like, a how it's kind of organized is strange. Like you go into the sync and it's like, Hey, you want sync? You got to pay for it and you got to sign in. And so I can do that. Alternatively, you could just throw it in Dropbox or Google Drive or whatever. They actually have really nice instructions on that for the website. But I don't want to deal with that on my phone. So I pay for it because I, I'm willing to do that. I was paying for Evernote before that. So it wasn't, you know, it was a lateral move for me. Huh. Oh, check this out. Here's another really nice thing about it. It's got support for templates. So, for example, um, it's also got nice support for like a daily note. It just kind of, you know, gives you a, there's a nice button you can click that will open up uh, a file with today's date in the name, you know, 2022-10-whatever. Uh, you can specify a template that says, hey, every day uh, it's going to have, you know, there's five things that I have on my daily to-do list every day. You know, I, like I make coffee, I brush my teeth, I, you know, those pretty granular things I wouldn't normally have on my list. But just an example. So I can set that up as a template. So every day I get a new file with the, the date and it's got those five things in a checklist that I can go in there and, and check off. But you can also create uh, custom templates. So, for example, like whenever we do like um, JetBrains uh, – Contest. So, you know, if you join the mailing list, which you should go do uh, on the website, um, there's some, uh, you know, whenever I send out a contest email, there's some legalese I put down at the bottom. So I have that in a template. So I can just do like um, squiggly bracket, squiggly bracket uh, contest, you know, legalese or whatever, and it'll auto complete that. And I'll just drop that text in there. Also, when people win, there's a little bit of legalese that I put there. Um, there's just a couple of little things like that. So it's all like, kind of like support for snippets, basically, in Markdown, which is really nice. Finally, or not finally, <laughs> quite a few things. It's, it's designed to support multiple vaults up front, and vaults is basically a directory. And what I like about that is I cannot have my work stuff leaving my laptop, right? So I don't want that connected at all. So I have a vault on my laptop, my work laptop, where I have my work notes for meetings and stuff like that. And I also uh, have a separate vault that I do have syncing turned on for that has like my daily, you know, to do type stuff. So like my kind of personal stuff. So that way, if I get a phone call uh, from my insurance adjuster or whatever, I don't have to switch computers or grab my phone. I can, you know, add a couple notes into that vault from my work computer. And I don't have to worry about any of that work stuff syncing. 
can you have certain vaults not sync to yeah. your work computer? Yeah, so totally. So you, it's it's up to you, and it's it's totally separate. So it's like designed from day one to support multiple vaults. So it's, it doesn't feel like something where I'm like going through and checking the bosses. I, I have to actually go ex- kind of explicitly grab the vaults that I want to sync, which I like. Huh. So uh, also community extensions. People write interesting extensions that basically add UI or various other feature uh, features to the editor. And uh, some uh, interesting ones I've installed was a calendar view that lets you do, I forget what it is, like, you know, bracket, bracket, calendar or something. And it will insert a calendar and it ultimately serializes to uh, Markdown. So if I go in a notepad or something, I can go and see, you know, however it chooses to serialize that. But if I'm in the editor, then I get a nice calendar. And uh, another one was Kanban. So if you want to have a little Kanban board on your, you know, so you could set it up with a template so that every day you click on my daily note for the day today and it comes set up with a checklist of brushing your teeth and getting ready for work, whatever. And also has a Kanban board with all the stuff from yesterday or whatever. If you need brushing your teeth in a Kanban, we need to talk. (laughs) Yeah. Don't want to forget. I mean, like, but also that implies that it might not be the highest priority that you're going to work on for that day. (laughs) No. Yeah. No way. You know what? Anyone that wants to grab that one can. <laughs> Don't get me started like, on the oh, toothpaste conspiracy. It's my turn to brush Joe's teeth. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I was just looking for some example of something like that. Yeah. I thought you could relate to, but I didn't know that you didn't brush your teeth. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Way to change it out, out on me. The, what uh, you're describing and like looking at the, the uh, screenshots of this thing, it, it looks like, like if I had to make an analogy, like if you're a, an Apple user using the notes program on your Mac, and then you also have that on your phone, except here it's all in Markdown, but also you can decide, Hey, there's certain of the, there's some of these notes I don't want syncing to certain computers. And with the built-in notes app, it's like all or nothing, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, the other things too, like, you know, I mentioned tags. So like in my little daily checklist of to do tasks, I might um, tag a task as like, you know, hashtag Jira. And then I can click on that and see anything else I've tagged with Jira. So if I'm doing something with management or hashtag scrum or hashtag some feature I'm working on or or whatever, uh, which is nice. But one problem I did run into is that I was like, okay, I've got a feature that I worked on and I had a couple HTTP. HTTP HTTP files that I wanted to associate with that. And this is stuff that I didn't want to really put in a wiki because it was just kind of not really interesting. But uh, when I say HTTP file, I'm basically talking about a bunch of curl commands that are formatted a little bit nicer. We mentioned there's a really nice uh, Visual Studio code uh, plugin uh, that lets you uh, interact with this. And I, I want to store that next to my notes that I've been working on with this feature so that if I, you know, someone asked me like, Hey, how's this feature doing? Or we're having some problem with it. Then I've got this collection of, you know, API calls that I can make and I can plug in variables and do all sorts of cool stuff. But the problem is that uh, everything that Obsidian manages aside from media files needs to have a .md file extension. So when I had .httpb files in there, uh, it wasn't showing up for me to kind of edit. I wasn't getting the history on them, stuff like that. And so um, this is kind of a dumb thing, but uh, I was able to just basically give them an MD extension. And then when I open up a VS code, a Visual Studio code, you can just change the file type in the bottom right. And it picked up on it. So that's, you know, 
something that I do sometimes, you know, if you ever copy like a JSON file into a new window, but you don't really want to save it, but you can go on the bottom right and change the, change the file type there. And so it knows how to parse it and you get the, you know, you know, nice curly brackets or whatever, the nice color, uh, auto formatting type stuff. So I was able to do that and worked great. Huh? All right. So that's my tip. Obsidian. That was a lot. That was a lot to take in. All right. Well, I'm going to fail miserably at trying to, uh, follow that tip of the week. But, um, so my tip of the week, uh, so both Joe and I have recently been on the market or in, yeah, on, on the market, in the market, in the market for on the market, in the market, uh, for, we were at the market for new Wi-Fi systems. And, uh, you know, I already had a mesh Wi-Fi system, but it was kind of, I guess, I don't know, maybe just getting long in the tooth. I was reading some articles about how, like, uh, it's in my particular case, it seemed like I was having to reboot it. Um, like the frequency that I was having to reboot the system was starting to increase. Like it originally was never. And then, you know, here in the recent months got to be like, okay, well, uh, I have to start prioritizing devices or, uh, you know, reboot it, uh, once a month or a couple weeks or whatever. So it was just getting a little too frequent. And, and I was reading some things and, you know, like, uh, some articles were suggesting that like they kind of can have a shelf life depending on where they are stored, you know? So like, uh, for example, heat could eventually get to them and whatnot. So, you know, these home routers, they're not necessarily made to last lifetimes or at least not your lifetime. Um, and at least in, in my case, mine had lasted, I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. So, I mean, I, I'd gotten a pretty good amount of time out of it. I'm not in any way complaining, uh, that it, it didn't serve me well because it certainly did. And I wanted to upgrade to a new, uh, mesh system, but I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I also want to go to like latest standards, right? So like, uh, six or six E kind of, um, Wi-Fi standards. Let's, let me go ahead and like future proof myself so that as I get new equipment and whatnot, uh, I can take advantage of those new systems. So I landed on the Asus Zen Wi-Fi system that specifically the ET eight is where I landed and eh, so, so I say, I say that because, um, on paper, everything's great about it, right? Like even yeah, other reviews, cheap. other reviews. Oh yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't cheap at all, but, um, none of them are to be honest. Um, yeah. so this one wasn't any worse. And in fact, this one was actually better because I was, I was torn between an Orbi system versus the Netgear Orbi system versus the Asus Zen Wi-Fi system and, uh, the Orbi's for the, for the comparable system that I got from the ASUS system, it was, it was much more expensive and the pro to the Zen Wi-Fi system that I got was that any one of the access points can act as the main router. Yeah. So if you, if you wanted to add on an additional one, no big deal. You can just go to the store and buy it and add it versus the Orbeez. If you lost your primary router, 
you can't just substitute one of the satellites in as the primary. Um, so I liked that about the ASUS system and uh, from everything that I was reading and reviews and everything, performance between the two was extremely comparable. So it wasn't like I was going to lose a big, like if there was a performance gain on one or the other, it depended really on like the, that particular test, how they, the environment that they were testing in. Cause sometimes the Orbi would win. Sometimes the Asus would win point being those two performance wise were very comparable. So the, the main selling point for me became the fact that like any one of the access points could become a, a, a satellite, <clears throat> I'm sorry, could become the router. Any satellite could, could be any AP could become either a satellite or a router, depending on how you needed it. Um, but my problem with it though, or one, one of the issues that I've been, I've had with it though, is that, uh, we have talked over the years about, um, my love of IOT devices when it comes to like the, you know, our shopping episodes, I'm always like, oh, here's all the you know latest stuff, right? <sighs> At least the way I wanted to configure the ASUS router, the a truckload of the various devices I have sprinkled around the house were giving me all sorts of problems. Google devices, it could be, it could be like Google, various Google devices, Sonos devices, um, the Casa devices didn't all of them just various problems. They would like not even show up uh, on the network. They wouldn't even see the network. So anyway, I found a link that Asus had an FAQ that they had published where they were talking specifically about how to improve the compatibility of the router for IOT devices. And you know, the, recommended configuration changes that they made. So I'm going to share that article with you, but here's the super depressing caveat to that. One of the things I said, like I said, was I wanted to future proof my devices, right? So, uh, you know, like the Wi-Fi six or six E kind of standards. I wanted to be sure that like I was, uh, you know, I would my my future Wi-Fi devices that might support Wi-Fi six could be able to use that. Not under this configuration, they can't because in this configuration, Wi-Fi six is only used for wireless backhaul connections and not for any of your devices to use. Which to add more like insult to injury in this whole situation. I don't even use a wireless backhaul because they're wired in my house. So that is like, now I have this thing that I wanted <laughs> this Wi-Fi standard that I wanted. That's not even being used by anything. So I don't know. Um, I'm still trying to like work my way around this thing, see if I can uh, get this working the way I ultimately want. But that, that part has been frustrating. And then to add further insult to injury. And I'm curious, Joe, to hear your opinion on this. So I mentioned that I had to replace a previous mesh system. And if you recall from past uh, episodes, you would know that the system that I had and loved was the Google nest Wi-Fi system. And I had that too, by the way, you know, there's, there, there are the purest out there 
who are going to argue that like, Hey, it isn't the fastest, blah, blah, blah. And I get it. Totally understand that former from the Wi-Fi standards at the time, uh, you know, that like there, there might've been faster Wi-Fi standards. But again, keep in mind uh, this, I had this, I've had this system for like six or seven years. So, um, you know, yes, technically there were, there are Orbeez that were faster or whatever, but it served me well. And I, and I especially loved like, you know, knowing all the Google security that came along with it and, and it being tied to your Google account. So, you know, like if you locked down your Google account then that's, and it's locked down too. Um, and you know, it has, it had automatic updates, which, you know, at the time was a big deal. The Asus has it too. Um, but I never had a single problem with it other than this, like, you know, until recently, like I said, you know, the recent months where it seemed like it was just starting to get long of the tooth. Yeah, and the old ones, by the way, do have the same thing where anyone could act as a, a router. And I've actually lost two and I just was able to, you know, buy replacements and just grab one from downstairs and put it up here. Yep. So, yeah. It was great. Yeah. So I, I super loved that about it too. Um, so this week, now and I've had this Asus system set up for now for like maybe a week, maybe maybe I'm into my second week. I think I'm I think I'm near my the end of my second week with it. And this week Google announced the new Google Wi-Fi Nest Wi-Fi Pro system that is I honestly had I known that that was an op- if that had been an option when I was looking a few weeks back. I would have just bought that. But at the time there were no reports of that. And I kept questioning like, why is it Google hasn't put out a new version yet? Like, why is it still old? And here's the new nest Wi-Fi pro that supports the Wi-Fi six standard that I wanted to begin with. And yeah. And again, I'm sure there's some purists that's going to say like, you know, yeah, performance wise though, you know, blah, 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 whatever. So I had the original Nest Wi-Fi, and then there was Nest, uh, or I don't even think they called it that. I think it was just called Google Mesh, and then they came out with Google Nest. And the Google Nest, I believe, that's the one where they added the microphone, so you could talk to, you know, hit OK Google. You could turn it off. There's a little push button there, but I just yep. hated the idea because I just really don't want that. I really hate having microphones <laughs> all over my house, you know. I, I don't I, trust it. I don't disagree. And I'm sure the new ones, ha- you know, continued on with that. It doesn't look like it. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not seeing anything, at least in the quick, uh, view I've done of it. Did you see it where it said that? And that's why yeah. you're calling that out. Yeah. So, um, let me see if we can find it. So there's Google Wi-Fi, which looks the same, but there, I think there are a couple of versions of it, but yeah. then there's Google, the next Tec- Wi-Fi pro. Technically the one I had was called Google Wi-Fi. And it was before they, they, I think before they purchased nest and before they made nest, like, you know, started branding the nest products within Google so yeah. that, you know, it was just called Google Wi-Fi is the one I had. I think it's got the voice on it. Mine, the I Google Wi-Fi does not. And and from yeah. what I'm seeing from the Google Nest Wi-Fi Pro, I I'm not seeing where it has the um the 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 Wi-Fi does. Uh, I can I confirm that Wi-Fi Nest Pro. Wi-Fi. Yeah, Nest Wi-Fi has the mics. Great. 
Uh, no thanks. Uh, Pro, as far as I can tell, doesn't look like it. it, it I, I'm looking at a comparison chart now. It specifically does not have a smart speaker built into oh, it. Man. I hope this is a sign that sp- smart speakers are on the way out. I despise them. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the point though. Is that like, and by the way, for like a three pack of the um, Nest Wi-Fi Pro, it's $400. So that um, that Asus Zen Wi-Fi system that I was talking about, it was like five-ish hundred dollars, I think, for that system. And the Orbi system that I was looking at was around a thousand dollars for it. Oh wow! So the this Nest Wi-Fi Pro, at least on paper so far, looks pretty promising, and it's also cheaper. So yeah, I would have totally bought it. Yeah. I love mine. I just kept, um, I, I, uh, had some electricity, I had some lightning issues a while back. And so I lost uh, a router. Then I forget what happened to the first one. I think it just died. And then, uh, I started having an issue like you were, so I have to restart it all the time. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's not to say the Asus Sin Wi-Fi has some great features too on it. So, um, one, it had each access point has, I want to say like three or four, I think it's three. Um, Ethernet connections that you can you make to it, so you can hardwire in from there. And then there's a fourth one that acts as the um, connection to the WAN, but you can also dual WAN the access point. So if for some reason you have two ISPs, you can set it up to for both. So there's definitely a lot more in terms of configuration that you can do with the Asus that the Google uh, Wi-Fi systems are from going to be like from a simplicity point of view, like they're, they're going to dumb a lot of that down and just be like, here's the basics you get you rolling. But um, you know, it served me well, you know, so I, w- I was happy with it, but yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I'll have that uh, a link to the, that new product and yeah. And then I guess Alan's tip of the week. Yeah. So uh, we got a comment last episode uh, specifically for Alan, something he mentioned. So I want to go ahead and throw it out here. So big thanks to Taryn uh, Antipodes. Uh, sorry about butchering your name probably, but uh, send in a tip that says, remember, if you remember, uh, Alan was why wouldn't about, it be like anti? Uh, I, I thought it was maybe it was like antipodes or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I guess anti, I was thinking it would be like something I was thinking it was made up, but yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I made it worse. I made it worse. Somehow I made it worse. (laughs) That's how we do. That's how we do. (laughs) Why did I do that? Well, uh, so, uh, they sent an interesting tip and you remember Alan was talking about, uh, sneezing. And specifically how his uh, wife hates when he tries to hold in a sneeze. He feels like he's going to blow his head off. Right? So, uh, Taryn wrote in and said, there's a trick they learned in drama class where you can place your lower lip between your teeth. So, this is good if you're on the stage or something. You really don't want to sneeze, you know, and uh, if you're playing Macbeth or something. And you don't have to bite down hard. It's just the literally prevents you from sneezing. Eventually, just kind of goes away, so you're not going to blow your head off. I'm pretty sure that uh, Taryn just wanted 
Alan to bite his lip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might, Alan, so I'm going to let Alan try this. So maybe Alan's going to bite his lip off instead. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm probably going to continue just sneezing. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I that one seems so weird. Like, if that works, what is the science behind that? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hey, Joe, what do you call a beehive without bees? Uh, I, uh, hive already doesn't have bees. So I don't know. An e-hive. An e-hive. Okay, good. I told you I wasn't going to get any better. <laughs> yeah, good. I was close. I was getting close to that one. All right. So, uh, you know, like I said before, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to us, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. And, uh, if you haven't already left us a review, we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, they really do mean a lot to us. Put a smile on our face. Uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And uh, while you're at codingblocks.net, uh, check out our show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And uh, you can go to the Slack link or just type in slash Slack at the end of that .net and uh, join the Slack group and uh, come on in and talk. And uh, also, we got a tweeter at codingblocks. Or you can head over to codingblocks period net and you can find all our social links at the top of the web page. Top of the web page. Yep. Top of our homepage. I, I just want to make sure you're being very clear. It's like not at the top of our MySpace page or our no. remember oh, GeoCities. Oh, so good. Join our web ring. <laughs>